Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, maybe not so hard tonight, as we are here with instant analysis of WWE Payback. And if I told you seven days ago that a B-level WWE pay-per-view was going to be just as good, if not better, than SummerSlam. I would have told you it would be okay to slap me in the face and call my mama. But we are back just minutes after WWE Payback went off the air from the WWE Thunderdome in Orlando to break down every single match that happened on this card, every single storyline that was developed. And with me to do it is Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter at Chris Vanini. As important as following Chris and myself, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. As important as it is to follow both of us on Twitter, nothing could be more important than following our show, Getting Over, at Getting Over Cast. Please follow us. After my last request, our followers jumped significantly, and I think there is some momentum going with our Twitter account, so let's keep building. Of course, the other thing you can do to help us out is head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Tell us how much you love the show. Tell us what you like so much. Or just leave five stars and say, you guys are the best. No one will ever be better than you. No matter what you do, just be positive. Uh, and if you have any criticisms for me, you can leave those too. But I'd prefer you DM them at Getting Overcast. DMs are open. Let me know uh, some things we can improve about the show. Always happy to listen. But this is not about criticisms, Chris. For the first time, maybe ever. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to be a criticism-free show. But I am very, very positive and very, very happy coming out of WWE Payback, which I think we will discuss it at the end of the show, has a case for best pay-per-view non-brand specific of the entire year. How are you feeling coming out of this show? I'm feeling positive as well. Spoiler alert on that. Um, Not a prediction. I, yeah, we, we, you know, we had, I guess, reasonably low expectations coming in, but we'll get into why it was great in a minute. But, uh, yeah, just they just did what they wanted to do and move forward with it. And that was huge. And I'm looking forward to talking about it. And also one more thing on the Twitter. Uh, continue to tweet at us. Um, nickname ideas for me. I'm still, yeah. I'm still bouncing some ideas around. Vintage Chris Vanini was a good one. Um, we're, we are still taking requests. I kind of like that, by the way. I, I am leaning towards that. I have to be honest with you. I like it, too. Yeah, it's good. It's really solid. But you all know what we do here on the Instant Analysis Podcast. We never talk about professional wrestling instant analysis style without cracking a beer. I'm going to go first. Oh, that one sounded good on the new podcast equipment. I am rocking, uh, I think it's called Lupin. Let me see. Lupalin Brewing uh, CPB Chocolate Peanut Butter Porter. I went with a dessert beer for this particular show. Let me tell you why. SummerSlam kind of felt like the main course. Payback felt like dessert. And I feel like, you know what? Let me get some chocolate and peanut butter down this gullet while I break down this show. Chris, what are you rocking with tonight? I don't have a beer tonight. I am very mm. tired. I am very tired. So what I have is a Dr. Pepper because I live oh. in Dallas. Because I live in Dallas, Texas, so it's required that every household be stocked with that. Um, is that tr is that a thing really? Oh yeah, Dr Pepper. There's yeah, I think it's I think it's based here. It's a definitely a big Dallas thing. They got baseball stadiums named after it. Yeah, the headquarters is in Plano. Really? Uh, yeah, big. This is like the Dr Pepper town. I mean, look, this is going to be maybe sacrilegious to some. I hate Dr Pepper. I think it 
might be my least favorite soda. And I'm not counting like some strange sodas that people have never heard of, but the regular, you know, you got a cola, you got a lemon lime, you got, I guess, a Mountain Dew or an equivalent cream soda, root beer. I don't even like root beer, but Dr. Pepper, man, I guess root beer would be my least favorite, but Dr. Pepper is like number two least favorite uh, cola or soda. First of all, it's pop. It's not soda. I'm from Michigan. I'm required to say that it is pop, even though I live in Texas and everybody calls everything here Coke, which is a whole nother problem. I'm I'm kind of a on Dr. Pepper. I think it's fine. I, I don't I don't I'm not it's not one of my favorites. It's not one of my least favorites. It's it's fine. Yeah, I just I'm not going to buy into that. It's I feel I've always found it to be completely overrated. Like when you can have a nice cold Coca-Cola or even a Sprite, both delicious. And Same. and someone and someone's going to go out and and pick or even pay for take off the shelf a Dr. Pepper over either of those. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not getting that Dr. Pepper sponsorship money. That's okay. I, this beer, this beer, by the way, I'm a couple sips in. Absolutely delicious. We'll give Chris a break. Um, look, there are some great breweries though in Texas, and I think uh, I think you need to venture out a little bit. I do, I do. It's just I had to get up at three a.m. the other morning to drive my wife to the airport, so I, I've been kind of running on fumes all weekend, and I need something that's going to keep me awake here. Kind of want to give you a break, except I painted an entire garage yesterday, so <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to find much of an excuse there. And I worked all day, 12 hours. Okay, never mind. Okay, that's we're putting it in the past. The, the beer's being drank on my end. Uh, apparently on the other side, there's a Dr. Pepper. Forget all of that. We're staying positive. We're getting to the WWE payback instant analysis. And the only way to start breaking down WWE payback is with the main event. The first of three title changes on the night, the Universal Championship was on the line. The Fiend Bray Wyatt defending against Braun Strowman and eventually Roman Reigns in a no-holds-barred triple threat match. Of course, Reigns comes out on top as the new Universal Champion. There's a lot of li little different things to break down in this match. I'm going to kind of give you a rundown here, throw it to Chris. We're going to go back and forth a little bit. Right off the bat, they had Strowman attacked Fiend during the entrance, and I thought that was a great start. I'm not sure why they rang the bell when all the competitors were not in the ring. Usually you don't do that for a triple threat match, but they did. A couple times they fl flipped backstage and saw Alexa Bliss by the big screen with not one, but now two braids in her pigtails. I thought that was nice. Then you saw Strowman throwing the chair into The Fiend as a callback, and then The Fiend scaring Michael Cole and him jumping out of his shoes and over the barricade. All really nice early touches that popped me in this match. Everyone throughout the entire match, was waiting to see Roman Reigns. And they made us wait and wonder why he wasn't there and what would be happening without commentary overplaying it and mentioning it too much. I gave criticism to Corey Graves a couple weeks ago for overplaying Sasha and Bailey possibly breaking up and beating us over the head with an angle. Instead, they let this one play out. And it was one of a number of times tonight where they did something that matched the criticism I gave them a couple weeks ago. Again, I'm not, there's nothing to do with me. I'm just saying it, it, it seems to me like they're learning and at least listening to some criticism from the WWE universe as a whole that it is the little things that actually matter. So it was really smart, interesting booking for them not to mention Reigns. Then you have The Fiend hit Strowman with the mallet, snap his neck twice. Strowman beats the hell out of Fiend. He does that awesome crossbody off the stage, just knocks both of them out. And then, of course, the superplex absolutely explodes the ring, which you can see coming, but is always a great spot with the referee flying over the ropes. Charles Robinson 
took a hell of a bump. <laughs> and yes, then, he yeah, he did. And then we get the finish. And Roman Reigns enters with Paul Heyman, signs the contract, and gets to it. This was very similar, no Paul Heyman, I think, in that scenario, to when Brock Lesnar entered at the last minute of the Money in the Bank match. And in a very heelish move, I think Mustafa Ali was on the top of the ladder, knocked him off, took the briefcase, and won. Uh, in this particular case, Reigns was unable to pin The Fiend, unable to pin Strowman after multiple chair shots. I loved that he looked at the referee and screamed, count bitch, when he was delaying. <laughs> uh, then Reigns low-blowed Fiend uh, to get out of the mandible claw, spears Strowman, and wins the Universal Championship. So I will st stop right there and, and just kind of breaking down what happened in this match, Chris. How do you feel like they booked Reigns winning the championship? I, first of all, I was wrong. Roman is a heel. This was clearly a heel move. I was on the edge and I know you were saying it was happening. It's clearly happening. So I'm going to lead off by saying I was wrong there. And it's obviously because of the way things played out and what he did. Exactly. The big dog. And I, I thought the only thing I, I think starting with Braun beating up Fiend and that starts a match. That's a great way to just get into it and kind of like push Roman out of your mind a little bit so you're not waiting for him. It just gets the action going, boom, you're going, hey, when's Roman going to come out? You don't know, but you're so focused on the action. I think it was a great setup there. I, I, I think it was a great idea for, for Roman to come down after the superplex. And I, I'm with you. The superplex ring explodes. It's been played out. I think we Braun and Big Show did it not long ago, but still a really cool spot every time. I'm, let, I'm, let me let me let me pause you really quick. Did you notice before that that they did not have the LED ring posts and the LED ramp, uh, the LED um skirt on the ring? I did not. Okay, so at least up until that moment, it surprised you, or yeah. know, a couple minutes before, maybe. I okay. assume you were aware of that. I noticed it. Um, like two match, like like the second to last match of the show during the Ray and Dominic Mysterio tag team match. I was like, oh, wow, they don't have the LED ring post. And then I remembered last time they did that, they exploded the ring. I didn't necessarily know they were going to explode the ring at that moment, but I did know that there was a reason they weren't there. Mm, OK, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and Charles Robinson, I hope you find that the gif around WWE tweeted it. He bounces around a million times and falls out of the ring. Hilarious stuff. L love Roman coming down as a heel to, to pin. And I love that he didn't win it right away. They didn't just do it. They, they, they hit him with the chairs. The guys kicked out. All of a sudden, you, you had that doubt. Like, wait a minute. Maybe he's not going to win. Because I had thought this thought's going to play out. I, I picked Fiend pinning Strowman for the win. They're like, oh, they're, they could leave this in play. Roman acted it beautifully with the facial expressions. Clearly upset that this wasn't working out, this original plan that they had. Clearly, uh, he was going through these emotions as a heel for the first time publicly. And you could tell he was kind of uh, approaching things differently. And uh, yeah, and then obviously, you know, the, the way it ends, it ends. But the only thing I would have changed, and this is nitpicking because I think it was overall, it was really good, even if it wasn't what I predicted. And it, I just, I wouldn't have had him sign the contract on the way down. I would have had him just come out and do it because then it's assumed that he signed it. Because in kayfabe, I don't like the yeah. idea that you can sign a contract after a match has already started. If he had just come down, and does this thing, I I would have no problem with that. That's not really my problem. It's more it's just more the specific idea of signing it on the way down. Well, the maybe they were waiting. Maybe they were waiting for an updated copy with the things he wanted changed. But I agree with you. Because all I they would, needed to do, all he needed to do was hold it up in the air and drop it, and then just yeah, go yeah. Because when Brock yeah. came in and that Money in the Bank, it's not like he was signing a contract for Money in the Bank on the way down. He just we knew he was in the match, and there he right. was. And 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 so I I think 
it, it, it is nitpicky. The whole point of this is he's being a heel. I'm totally I'm totally down with that. Now, I didn't want Reigns to win this match. And we talked about this on our ultimate preview. All the, re- all the reasons why rushing Reigns into the championship would not be good and should not be done. But, you know, in retrospect, now that we have seen it play out, and I, I didn't love the finish to this match. I did think the match was really good. And I thought that the pay-per-view was great. And we will get to that in a moment. I'm not, you know, going crazy with praise in this match because, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say it was the worst match on the show, but it was... It wasn't the best, you know, I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was lower third, at least for the entire show. But if you're going to have Reigns be a heel, you can't very well have him sign a contract at the last moment, take these guys when they're most vulnerable and then just get thrown out of the ring so that Fiend can pin Strowman again. And you just saw Fiend pin Strowman. So right. given the booking, given their decision to have this match. I wish I maybe had thought about it that way ahead of time and said, yeah, Roman's probably going to win. But as long as he pins Strowman, it's okay. Because I have to imagine at this point, Strowman's headed to Raw because now Roman's beat him. He's beaten him a couple times, uh, you know, over a period of time. Fiend finally got the win over Strowman. There is nothing left for this guy to do on SmackDown. So whenever they do have the draft or the shakeup or whatever they end up doing, Strowman going over to Raw to me makes the most sense. But I want to talk next about Roman Reigns and the presentation because, and I tweeted this and most people agreed. A couple people replied back with, well, you know, well, actually this, this was different, but it was basically the same Roman Reigns. It was the same look without the vest. He was wearing a t-shirt instead of the vest, the same music, the same stupid big dog, uh, augmented reality graphic and the same Roman over everything booking. Except this time, Roman Reigns is a heel. And people were saying, well, he didn't do the Superman punch and the ooh He did the ooh at SummerSlam. And yeah, maybe he won't do the Superman punch. That's good. And maybe eventually we'll see Reigns, if he's not wearing the shirt, just bare-chested, which a guy built like him, tattooed all, all over his body, you should not be hiding that, right? So maybe the look will look different, even though he's still wearing the combat pants and the stupid boots. But the same music, the big dog graphic, this guy's a heel now, and I mean, I would have just had him show up with no entrance music and just come down to the ring, march down there like a total badass, heal it up, kick him in the balls, beat the shit out of these guys, get the pin, uh, take the title, and walk back again with no music. And then Friday night on SmackDown, when you're doing the coronation of him and Paul Heyman's introducing him, then you have some new music hit. But they knew he was coming back. You can prepare for things like that. So it just kind of felt to me like, like half-assed almost. Like, yes, it's a heel turn. It's what we want. I'm not trying to complain about it. But what did we talk about here? We really talked about repackaging this guy and turning him heel and maybe losing the vest only. It's only kind of half of the battle. It's like a half win. You know what I mean? So the way so the way I read this, and again, going back to Roman's facial expressions and kind of the mental just kind of way he was approaching this, and I might be reading too much into this, but to me, it felt like Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith, episode three, after he joins the Emperor. He he doesn't immediately change. He still has his blue lightsaber. He's going through the internal conflict of what he's doing, and he's not fully bought into this yet. He, he's not yet Darth Vader. He's Anakin Skywalker still. 
That's what I feel like Roman Reigns is right now. He's the Anakin Skywalker who just turned heel. And over the next days, maybe weeks, we will get the fleshed out Darth Vader, Roman Reigns. Uh, I think he'll probably get new. Uh, I hope he'll get new music, a new graphic, whatever, uh, some other things to go along with it. Um, that That's kind of how I read it, is that maybe they're not there yet. Because I, I agree, you can't do the same stuff over and over. I think you eventually have to change it. So it felt like this is Roman trying out being a heel for the first time. And he's still trying to figure out how to do it in kayfabe. And the rest of it will come. I mean, you lost me with that reference. I am not a Star Wars guy. So uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, yes, I agree. Um, but no, the general thesis of what you're saying does make sense. If Paul Heyman, for example, only got into Roman Reigns here two weeks ago, and now he's pulling the strings and turning him heel and starting to do all these things, yes, you could possibly on SmackDown Friday, and we should see this, and if we don't see this, shame on them, we should see Roman Reigns walk out there in a $5,000 suit. Yes, we, 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 need a, we need a change. I think it's okay. Like I said, I think it's in, in the sense it's okay to bring him back as the Roman we know at the beginning. So then when he becomes a, a, a Roman we don't know, we will see that transformation. Yeah, but I mean, that's what, that is what I need to, to really give this the two thumbs up. Right now it gets one thumb up. You know, it's like, yes, we're heading in the right direction. They changed the title, which I didn't think they were going to do. I initially said I didn't want them to do, but okay, I'm okay with it because they did it well enough. But at the end of Friday night, at, at the end of SmackDown, I was popping crazy, right? Like I was like, I cannot believe they are freaking doing this. And now 48 hours later, that excitement level is not as high as it was. Now, of course, it was a shock on Friday night. Tonight, we kind of knew what was coming. And even though both you and I did predict The Fiend to win, I think we both kind of knew in the back of our heads, they're probably going to put Roman Reigns over, right? So it wasn't unexpected. And then with the, with the contract signing and, and him not showing up, it was pretty obvious what the booking was going to be. Again, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes predictable things are good. But you did kind of know it was going to happen. So maybe that tempered the level of excitement. At the same time... As I've said, and I, I don't mean to really repeat myself, I want it to go a little further and I kind of wish they had already done it and aren't, weren't keeping me waiting. Now, maybe we'll get that Friday. Maybe we'll get that inside of the next two weeks. And if, and if that does happen, Chris, then, then that you know extinguishes my worries. But right now, I still have a little bit of a pessimistic bone in my body and I can't shake it quite yet. So I would... I'm... I'm when Roman come out first, I was like, I'm really into this. And then when he won, I was thinking, I'm, I'm not that into it. But then I went and rewatched how it ended and I'm back into it because it's very, very clear. We can talk about this now or in a minute or whatever, but it is very clear now that the fiend is a face. Oh, yeah, for sure. He gets attacked in the pre-may. He gets attacked on his entrance and then he gets low blowed out of the ring to lose the title. That that's that's a face. And I didn't know if they were going to go with that or not. So it tells me between that and between the Alexa Bliss standing back there and not doing anything. It tells me that they have a plan. And so I am looking forward to what that plan is. I agree. I was going to I was going to interject there and say, and he has a girlfriend like <laughs> the Fiend has a beautiful girlfriend mm -hmm. who's twirling her hair, watching his matches like it's 
how much more of a face are you going to get? Now, of course, that's it's a little bit more Joker Harley Quinn, but still, you know, it's it, this not, is a guy not a, that, not a little, not a little bit. It's a lot of it, Joker. It's a lot of it. <laughs> um, so, but but it's very much it's very much in that positive. It's so weird to say they feel good with the fiend, but positive direction, I guess, with him. So, I am with you there. Now, we were talking on the Ultimate Preview Show, and this will maybe be the last topic with Roman. Uh, how we would feel. Looking back on it, The Fiend winning the title at SummerSlam only to lose it at Payback. And initially, if you guys remember, I said it would have been a mistake because they could have just gone with a no contest finish at SummerSlam and had Roman pin Strowman here straight up to win the title. But now seeing the booking play out, I'll, I'll say that I changed my mind about that. And the reason I changed it is because when you think about The Fiend Strowman feud, they needed to figure out a way to give that resolution. Strowman had beat The Fiend twice. So in that moment, in the SummerSlam match, if they're not going to give us a screwy finish, which we would have, despite Roman Reigns returning and being excited about that, we probably would have criticized them for. They needed to give us a clean finish. And the way that match was always going to finish or always needed to finish was with The Fiend beating Braun Strowman. So you had to change the title. At SummerSlam, unless you were just going to do a total screw job finish. But since Reigns is a heel, you want to kind of put as much heat on him as possible. And even though it's a little bit of smart heat, him winning the title without pinning the Fiend creates a little bit more of heat than him winning the title off Strowman and ruining the Fiend's title match, which is something you would do maybe to a more traditional babyface. For the Fiend to never have beaten Strowman, would not have worked. So now they ended that storyline. Now you have the Roman Reigns storyline starting. And like I said a few minutes ago, now you have an opportunity when this draft happens because there's really nothing left for Strowman on SmackDown to draft him or change him, move him over to Raw, away from Roman, away from The Fiend, give him new storylines and new life. Yes, and you also, in exchange, will have to bring a true face over to SmackDown because they are really lacking that other than, I guess, Big E at the moment. Um, which, which who, who we'll get into later. I was looking this up. So the Fiend Bray Wyatt, or just Bray Wyatt, has now held a World Heavyweight title three times, and now two of those he has not successfully defended it. He won, he won an Elimination Chamber, lost it to Randy Orton at WrestleMania, won at Crown Jewel, then loses it at a Super Showdown to Goldberg. But that's weird because he won it and lost it in Saudi Arabia, so it's it's... He, he's had some strange kind of yeah. moments in terms of holding the belt and whatnot. And and yeah, you know, everything you just said, how it played out was right. And like I said, the way Bray lost w w with a low blow and that type of stuff, I could stomach it a lot more. And, and I I have faith that they have a plan here toward toward going to some. And, and the key also with The Fiend is that now, see, when when we were booking it originally for WrestleMania, the whole idea was Roman Reigns chasing Roman Reigns the face, ch chasing the fiend the heel. Now you have almost reversed those fortunes, and you have the fiend as a face chasing Roman Reigns, mm -hmm. and that old tagline going back to Wyatt Family Shield, "Anyone but you, Roman." It kind of works just as well, and the fiend in chase of Reigns and Reigns and Paul Heyman being really smart and figuring out ways to avoid him, that plays pretty well too. So 
ultimately, I'm excited for this. You know, I don't know how they're going to do the program, if they're going to do it immediately, if Bray is going to take a couple months off, maybe, which would be deserved and totally fine. But as we've said, or as I've said for a long period of time from when The Fiend started, when I was on my other show, The Fiend does not ever need to be champion. This is not a character just like Braun Strowman doesn't ever really need to be champion. There are occasions where you want to do it. But when they booked him in that match with Rollins and they were not planning to change the title, they screwed up because that never should have been a title match. And they they yep. probably never should have done that feud. And once they lit that candle, they said, OK, the Fiend cares about championships. So now he's in main event programs and sometimes they have to revolve around the title. So they kind of put themselves in a difficult position there. But ultimately, long term, I don't think that anything he does needs to involve the title. So we will see how this all transpires over the coming months. The next pay-per-view is September 27th. So we have a month, basically, until we get there. Clash of Champions, a month after that is Hell in a Cell. Then Survivor Series, which is an interbrand pay-per-view, usually. So WWE, I mean, Hell in a Cell is a big show, I guess. But they don't really have another huge show, monumental show, until Royal Rumble in January. So... I don't know what they're going to do, but to your point, it really does feel like they have a plan. Yes, and, and you, you're totally right. Everything, th- there are these these moments that are very tough to recover from, and one of those is that Seth Rollins uh, fiend match uh, going, th- that whole mess of a thing and, and, and what that led down to. Because, yeah, they, they put him in a title feud pretty quickly, and... You know, it doesn't have to be that the John Cena thing worked out great. But as he's in this right now, you have to leave him around it for a little bit. I don't think you can just have him leave a a title feud right now, especially when he just lost his belt to a guy returning. I think they have to tie it in somehow um, and not just move past it unless unless the Alexa Bliss thing is unless that's the vehicle to move into some other story. That's not a title. I'm not sure. But. You're right. It it has been weird kind of hanging over all this, you know, the 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 demon type undertaker didn't need a didn't need to have a belt um and, and neither does the fiend, but right now they kind of got to figure that out. It's true. The undertaker was a very infrequent champion. And when he had the title, he usually did not have it very long. So, it is it is a really good point. I do want to give a little credit to Dominic. By the way, I think first long-time listener, but I think first-time writer at Warm White Light He basically said something that we've repeated numerous times. Do you think Alexa is WWE's way to turn the Fiend babyface, have them be a lovable duo like the Joker and Harley Quinn? I mean, yeah, I mean, I I do think that Mm -hmm. is where we're going. And this could even be a scenario where Bliss says to Fiend, like, like almost calms him down, like, hey, don't worry about the title, you know, get yourself mentally right or whatever the case. They go into some other feuds, they figure out other stuff, and then the dam breaks one day. And he goes after Roman after a a period of time where they're not, you know, head to head with each other. So I don't know. There's a lot of things they can do. Look, Hell in a Cell is coming up. I just said in two months, that's the one year anniversary from the Seth Rollins debacle. So one year later, we might get Fiend Roman Reigns and who the hell knows what would happen there. So there's a million directions they can go. But, you know, this was the top storyline coming into the show. Um, It was an exciting main event. And we don't normally do individual match grades on this show. But I think in terms of expectation versus reality for the main event, I can I probably give it maybe like a B minus. That's not bad. That's still a, a, a passing grade. But, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think it hit an A like the rest of the show really did for me. 
I'd probably give a, a, give it a B plus. I it was kind of real unknown going in, and like I said, overall I, I was feeling pretty good coming out of it. So I, I'm not in the A range. I give it a B plus. Actually, one more thing on this. Sure. Uh, I thought we we talk about the excitement coming out of SmackDown. I thought they should have opened this show with the Paul Heyman. Hey, is he signing the contract bit? That should have opened payback. And then you uh, go absolutely. into the Lashley, you go into the Lashley Apollo match. Cause that is the number one thing people are talking about. And I really miss how pay-per-views are no longer. It used to be pay-per-views all the time. Someone arrives in a limo. Oh, it's going to be a fun night or, oh, we're waiting for someone to show up. And like, it doesn't just start with match. They start off with, with a piece, a, a nugget that is going to be a story throughout the night. And, and I thought they should have let off immediately address or acknowledge the Roman Paul Heyman thing because that was such a big story. And then immediately and then go into your match and say, we'll get back to that or something like that. So that you're, was just the thought right. I had when that played out. You even show like Reigns barely ducking into the locker room and mm-hmm. Heyman about to close the door. And then Kayla runs up and, and stops him. Yeah, that's exactly how you do it. You're right. They should have opened the show that way. But. I would say that more than anything you said before, anything we've said, I'd say that's even a greater nitpick because as sure. we're going to break, as we're going to break down the rest of this pay-per-view, I mean, dude, like we didn't, Great we haven't show. talked before. We haven't talked before this show, but this, this was an incredible show. Let's, mm-hmm. let's move on. Let's move on to the, I guess, co-main event. Technically Ray and Dominic Mysterio defeating Seth Rollins and Murphy. The best compliment I can give Dominic is that, I never watch him and think he shouldn't be in the ring, that he doesn't belong there. He's not polished, maybe, but he's very, very good for 23 years old. Even just the way he took that awesome assisted Falcon Arrow at the beginning of the match, it just showed someone that has experience beyond their years. Not just bumping, but also the, the way he sells, the way he does moves, his offense. You know, it's a little bit rough, but but he's way better than most people would be his age. This match started at 60 miles an hour, and it almost never slowed down. The work between Rollins and Ray in particular was awesome. It felt as if they had been doing this match on house shows for months, except there haven't been WWE live events, and I know they've wrestled, but they haven't done these moves in this sequence. So it just felt almost as if they had rehearsed it, but of course they had not. It it was so smooth and so fluid between them. And then that finish, man, that was bonkers. Murphy tagging in, Rollins telling him to like put his foot up to kick him, accidentally kicking Rollins in the head when Ray reversed it. Then Dominic throwing Ray out of the ring for that slip and slide sunset flip powerbomb to the outside. Then Dominic hits the 619 and the frog splash for the win over Murphy. This doesn't finish the feud. We do have that singles match between Seth Rollins and Ray Mysterio on Monday night, but this was a great close to at least one chapter of this feud. Yeah, th- this was by far my favorite match of this feud, of this long story going on. Absolutely a lot of fun. And Dominic just, again, he looks so fluid out there. And and another another bump to show how much faith they have in him is taking the knees when he does a frog splash off the top rope and he takes the knees to the chest. That's a very tough thing to do, especially for an oh, experienced yeah. wrestler. And they trust him to do that spot. And he he nailed it. And we'll see what happens on Monday. I, I think maybe there's some sort of interference and it, it ends it. But I feel like this has to be the end of the feud. They talked about how this was about the Mysterio legacy, this match. So I don't know exactly what happens on Monday, but I'm, I'm ready for it to to move on. And I think I think they've done a good job of really kind of elevating everybody and um, setting it up for whatever comes next. 
So we know the puppies agree with you, but do you yes. think Dominic Mysterio has it? He absolutely has it. I it just for man, 23 years old, second match. Like we raved about Pat McAfee in that takeover match, but man, you thought he looked good in his first match, and then you see the Dominic Mysterio looks like an absolute natural. Um, he has a very bright future in wrestling. I think what this also proved tonight is actually what I said. Um, I forgot what show it was. We've done so many. They're all running together. But I think I said on the last show we did that the Mysterios really should be a tag team. Mm -hmm. Like Dominic and Rey Mysterio, once they finish with Seth Rollins, they should be a solidified real tag team and they should go after the Raw Tag Team Championships because I can't even imagine what a match would be like. And I know it would be face versus face, but with the Street Profits or with Andrade and Angel Garza against Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Like, can you imagine that match? So I want these guys, once this is all over, to be a tag team legitimately for a long period of time. I think it's a great use of Ray Mysterio. It keeps him fresh because he's only wrestling half matches. It's great experience for Dominic because not only is he working with his father, but every time he's in the ring, he's working with two other competitors as opposed to just a singles match. And it allows you also to hide some of his flaws. So I would just, I'm so excited for the idea of them as a father-son tag team. Uh, Daniel Bryan tweeted this during the show. It's kind of cool. It's kind of like watching Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken (laughs) Griffey Jr. play baseball together. It's, Mm -hmm. It's rare. I mean, we talked about it. There have never been a father and son to win a tag team championship before, at least that we know of, and definitely not in WWE. Um, So I want to see it, man. I want to see this. And I'm really curious to see what happens. You saw at the end of the match, Seth Rollins was staring a hole through Buddy Murphy, or I guess Murphy at this point. And you have to wonder what's going to happen with the Disciple right now. Yeah, things do not look good for Murphy. And that's unfortunate because he was certainly one of the highlights of this match. We, We all know how great of a seller he is, the way he sold 619, the way he sold the DDT by Dominic. Um, I think he's he's been elevated in this feud. I wish we had gotten more of him on the mic because he's such an incredible wrestler. I, I, I wish they could kind of fully round him out as a character. But yeah, you got to sense something's going down on Monday between, between Seth and, and Murphy. We think Dominic Mysterio has it, but I know... Murphy has it. And I do hope that he gets to display that, start winning matches and get even more involved in big time feuds. Let's move on to someone else who undoubtedly, especially after tonight, has it. And that is the limitless Keith Lee. To start off here, man, I loved the backstage segment utilizing GABL. It's like give Keith Lee some shine as a long-term success, almost saying that, hey, I know you're going to be successful in a multimillionaire long-term. It also set the stage from an expectation standpoint for the match. They already, the way they've introduced these guys in the first two nights, Raw, and then tonight on Payback, they're basically saying, this guy is a big deal. And even just putting him in a match with Randy Orton is telling you of him he's a big deal. The start to this match was fantastic. Orton laid it in real hard on Lee. He threw him into the announce table, classic style, just like he did the um, the Sing Brothers. So he's able to yep. do it one way to the Sing Brothers and another way to Keith Lee, which is just incredibly impressive and classic Orton, vintage Orton, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was great that Lee pounced his ass out of the ring and then repeated that move into the table a couple minutes later. 
And then, man, holy shit, Keith Lee dominated Randy Orton into the finish and beat him in five freaking minutes with the spirit bomb, which is not even his finisher. Talk about strapping a rocket to someone. We can complain about Keith Lee wearing a compression shirt or having shitty music. They fixed the shorts, by the way, so good for them. But we just saw a 13-time world champion in Randy Orton bumping his ass off and putting over a rookie insanely clean in his first pay-per-view. That's incredible stuff from Orton. He made Lee look like a million freaking bucks. Get on the rocket, get on the train, get on whatever mode of transportation you want to because Keith Lee is going to the moon here. And a a theme of this pay-per-view was they didn't, they didn't dick around. They just went forward with what they wanted to do. And whenever Mm -hmm. they, whenever they do something with confidence in their storytelling, that will get you behind it no matter what. We'll forget about the music. We'll forget about the shorts. We'll forget about whatever. If you are emphasizing to us that Keith Lee is a big deal right now and we are going forward with this. We didn't quite get that on the Monday. I was upset about not only the presentation, but the fact that his debut was a was a interfered with and it wasn't anything. This was the impact uh, moment for Keith Lee. And it, it wasn't I wouldn't call it a squash match either. It was more two guys are pushing each other and then Keith Lee just overwhelms them and it's over. That is a great way to to put him over as legit and give Randy, you know, it wasn't just always surprised Randy and beat him. No, Randy had the upper hand at one point and he lost it. And Keith Lee took it and buried him into the ground once he got yeah. that upper hand. So I I, I, I like the, the the story they told with the match. And yes, 100 percent Keith Lee, uh, they are they are going to make him a face of the company soon, which they absolutely should. And yeah. again, we can get over the little nitpicks when you guys straight up tell us that, hey, this guy's a big deal. So I am on board. Yeah, it was it was by no means a squash, as you're saying, but it was definitive. Yes. It was such good shit. It was the type of stuff that I come to WWE for. Right. This is what you want to see. You want to see new faces get put over strong. And we just saw Keith Lee get put over as strong as anyone in a debut. Maybe I'm trying to think. I don't want to be superlative here and go and, and exaggerate. Maybe the strongest since John Cena. I mean, I know it wasn't his first match, but Keith Lee's way more established, and he beat a 13-time champion on a pay-per-view. So, so what came to mind for me was um, it was uh, Kevin Owens over John Cena. When they made you be like, whoa, holy crap, this is this guy think this guy's a big deal and I should be definitely paying attention to this guy. I obviously Kevin Owens was still in NXT at the time. That's but true. His first match, they give him a clean win over John Cena. That's that's how you make an impact. That's something you can never take away from Kevin Owens, and he'll bring it up all the time when he's a heel. Uh that's what that's what this felt like. Obviously, it wasn't a squash of John Cena. This wasn't a squash, but it was a clean win over a over one of the over, over a surefire Hall of Famer. The cool part about this is it's not even like Strowman Goldberg at WrestleMania where like Goldberg's 50 and you know he's a part timer. Randy Orton is the hottest heel in the company. He was wrestling. You know, he, he's he's our wrestler of the year. 
Yeah, he's a wrestler of the year at this point. So this is not a guy who like had been the Randy Orton of a year ago or two years ago where he's around and him putting someone over. It's nice, but it's not that big of a deal. This is the hottest wrestler, the hottest heel at least, in the company. And, and like you said, our MVP of 2020, at least to this point. And he just lost in five minutes to Keith Lee. So, I mean, you got to give credit where it's due, man. They are strapping the rocket to Keith Lee. I need some new po- – I told you, I, I was saying this, I think around SummerSlam. I don't have enough positive sound effects. I have two zero point zeros. I have a market <laughs> zero. I have some other stuff. I don't have – the siren I have sucks. I need to get a new siren. I got to get some, like, good positive things. And this is a weird feeling, right? Like, coming out of SummerSlam, I was giving them a lot of credit. They beat me down. Uh, on Raw, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I was so positive coming out of SummerSlam. But here here I am, you know, uh, what is it, six days after that Raw, and I'm like, oh my God, was Payback better than SummerSlam? It's insane. This was great. Now, as for where this is headed, man, it's a great question. Combining the storyline from Raw that you mentioned earlier with this, I have to think maybe we get a triple threat match at Clash of Champions, and Orton potentially gets a win back over Keith Lee. Maybe Lee eats a Claymore from Drew, then an RKO, and he gets pinned, and Orton wins the title without Drew losing it. I could see that possibly transpiring, where they gave Lee a big win to like make him legitimate. That way, when Orton beats him, it's not that big of a deal. Orton, That's how Orton takes the title without pinning Drew, and you figure out a way for that feud to last a little bit longer, into Hell in a Cell, maybe even past Survivor Series. So... That's at least where I see it going. What about you? Yep, 100%. That's exactly how I okay. I, I think it's going to play out in that. Um, you, Drew is obviously the, the, the guy in the commercial for Class of Champions. You, it sets up an easy, you got an easy explanation for a triple threat. Orton can beat McIntyre. He can do whatever. And Keith Lee can, maybe he stays in the title feud. Maybe he doesn't. But he's they've, they've, they've made him a made man now. And that's what you have to do right off the bat with somebody like this. And they did. And I know, I know the spirit bomb, I guess, sort of is or isn't his finisher. I think it absolutely should be his finisher. It's so much, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a great visual. And when he hits some of those on the big guys, when he hit it on Roman at Survivor Series, when he hit this one on Orton and the opponent bounces off the canvas, it's mm-hmm. such a, it, it, it just, it looks so strong and powerful and it's an easy thing you can kick out of if you want to do something like that. But it, it's a great visual. Spirit Bomb should be his finisher. Uh, permanently. And, and perhaps it is based on how they ended this match. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is. You know, I'm saying it's not, but maybe for main roster it is. Big Bang Catastrophe historically has been his finisher. Maybe they don't want to use it because it's Jackhammer-esque. Maybe they don't like the name for uh, connotations that you can understand by the name itself, Big Bang Catastrophe. Um, I don't know, but you are right. I do prefer the Spirit Bomb to that move. And if they did make it his finisher, that would make a lot of sense. But to me, at least as a long-term Keith Lee fan, I see him as having, as of today, won it without hitting his finisher, which is just even more impressive than him already being impressive, beating Randy Orton in five minutes. But we have a lot left, so let's keep moving on here. The Women's Tag Team Championship was our second title change of the night. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax defeated Bailey and Sasha Banks. And if you asked me when we were doing our ultimate preview, if I thought this was a good idea... Guess what I would have said to you? Zero point zero. But I was wrong again, Chris. This, to my utter disbelief, was an absolutely incredible match. And I am not exaggerating when I say that. I can't even believe I'm saying it. Everything (laughs) about this, everything about this was booked perfectly. They spent a long time 
contrasting the cohesiveness and wrestling skill of Bailey and Sasha Banks with the lack of tagging experience and the more like brute force tactics, the brawling tactics of Baszler and Nia Jax. They told the match story well with Baszler and Jax starting to believe in themselves only for them to then swerve us with that awesome sight of Bailey hitting the elbow drop followed by Sasha's frog splash as Bailey took out Baszler with the Bailey to belly for a 2.8 count. I thought that was the end. I was like, okay, they swerved me, making me think they would win. They're going to retain. I was right all along. Nope, that's not what happened. Then they give us an incredible finish that you could argue was the best finish of the entire night. I don't even know if you can argue it. It was, I'm saying it right now, yes. the best finish of the entire night with Baylor submitting Bailey with the Kirafuda clutch while simultaneously having uh, Sasha Banks in the Muda lock. And Bailey, of course, is the one to tap out and drop the titles. It was absolutely- With, 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 with Sasha's arm being the arm to choke her. Correct. Absolutely correct. It was absolutely perfect booking. Jax, she still struggles in the ring, but she did her job in this match. The, the brutality that she used with Sasha Banks outside the ring. I saw some people think it wasn't safe. No, Sasha knew that was coming. I thought she did a great job there. Um, and then the celebration afterward with, I forgot who it was in the ring. I think it was Kayla, but I don't even yeah. remember who. Nia Jax celebrating jubilant like that. It was it was such a nice touch. It was so surprising to see her do that because you know Shayna's a face. Is Nia Jax maybe going to be a face? And for some reason, is... Shayna Baszler, like the, the secret sauce that makes Nia Jax kind of work. I don't know, man. All I can tell you is I graded this match in A. I can't believe I'm saying it. I, <laughs> I didn't think I would like the title change. I didn't think I would like Baszler and Jax together. Whoever was the agent for this match deserves a raise. Two thumbs up. Congratulations. This was awesome. I'm going to say the same thing I said for the Keith Lee match in that when you confidently book something and just straight up make someone a badass, I'm all in. I'm all in on Shayna Baszler now with, with a finish like that. I, I we, we can talk about what this means for Bailey, Sasha. I don't know. You made someone look incredible and you, you, you put all your chips in there and I'm all for it. And I like the you mentioned the celebration at the end. It felt like I, I want more in-ring interviews with a champion afterward. It felt like yes. a UFC, it felt like a UFC posting where they were kind of talking, kind of not talking. They didn't have some set promo to give. It just, it felt real. You know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, whatever. But that, those things make this all feel connected and real. And so I was a big fan of the, of the celebration as well. So I don't know what this means. I love the shock on both of their faces when they won and when they got the titles. Uh, mm -hmm. just a really cool and really well executed moment. And yes, again, just a lot of the show was we know what we're going to do and we're going to do it and we're not going to smaz it up. We've had so many Bailey Sasha finishes with, yes. with people running out, count outs, interference, people putting on referee shirts. They just had someone kick some ass and win. And I'm all in on that because that's what I want when I want when I watch wrestling. No, you, you nailed it also with the with the post-match interview. They did it with Matt Riddle before the match. We'll talk about that next. Po before the match, after the match, they did that here. They did it in a, in a different, more, um, more, what's the word I'm looking for? A spontaneous way. Yes. With, with Big E after his match. There was just, it, it felt real. Okay, Payback felt like a real show. It felt like real human beings working as wrestlers yes. as opposed to canned WWE superstars 
doing what they're told by Vince McMahon. Yep. And that that feeling permeated the entire show. And look, I don't know if we can say things have changed. And it's the question I'm going to ask at the end. And it's probably, honestly, a better question to serve for Tuesday's show after we watch Raw. Because that's really going to be the proof in the pudding. Because we were this excited coming out of SummerSlam. Raw kicked me in the nuts. Okay, I don't even know if I can say that on the non-explicit show here. But it did. Okay, it it got me so depressed coming out of what I saw at SummerSlam. But this put me even higher than I was at SummerSlam. Because it said to me, for some reason, whoever was the lead writer or whoever got in Vince's ear about how to book these pay-per-views, it's working. Because these were the two most cohesive, well-booked pay-per-views back-to-back that WWE has given us in a long time. You can make an argument that other shows were better than Payback and other shows were better than SummerSlam. But back-to-back shows, and and by the way, one week apart, let's not forget that. Back-to-back shows being this good, this cohesive, and making you feel as if you are being rewarded as a fan. It's just impressive what what they've done. And this is a, a finish. We talked about it. I forgot what you pre- predicted. I thought Bailey and Sasha were going to retain. I figured uh, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot would win and become the number one contenders, and then they'd beat them, and they'd get the rub. Okay? I mean, that kind of did happen, but you know they're not going to beat Bailey and Sasha Banks at this point. So I don't know. I mean, I was going to say let's, let's wait to talk about Bailey and Sasha and how they're going to bring this forward after Raw. But they now have no reason to be on Raw because Bailey's the SmackDown champion. They're not the tag champs. And Sasha's not the Raw champion. So theoretically, they should not be on Raw Monday night as such. Let's ask it now. Are they going to drag out this split up? Or are they going to pull it off on Friday? It feels to me like Bailey and Sasha were dejected and both depressed and realizing that they lost as a team. Not so much in this case, Sasha blaming Bailey like she did last week. Yeah, I feel like we're there. I, I, I don't know how much longer you can drag this out now. Um, it, it has been teased for quite a while, and we all wanted it to culminate in a WrestleMania moment or a moment with a lot of fans in the crowd. But I don't think you can at this point. I, I think you have to really get the wheels rolling on this um, because... I don't know how, how much further you go this. I don't want to rematch and they win the titles back. That would be a no. That would be no, a no. terrible thing to do. Um, so far, with SummerSlam and with this and with Payback, it has been clear that they have had a plan and they have executed that plan. The raw in between was a mess because it felt like they didn't know they didn't have plans set. Now it feels like they do. So we'll see if they have a plan here for Bailey Sasha because certainly they have had this on their minds for a very long time. Uh, And I think now is probably the time you have to start moving forward with it. You're probably right about that. Matt Riddle defeated Baron Corbin in the next match. And I saw that Corbin tweet before the match, by the way, (laughs) um, about, about Riddle basically failing, being a failure at home. And I thought it was a killer dig. And then WWE goes, dude, and does exactly what I asked for recently and brought the social media into TV by telling Riddle about it before the match, you saw how upset he got and how it motivated him to beat Corbin in that match. It's a little touch, but if you're gonna have your superstars try to work on social media, try to work fans, and they do something good that's organic, then bring it onto TV. They should have put a screenshot on, but even though they didn't, they still referenced it. And it made me feel, again, like my attention to your product is being valued by not just forgetting that it was said and not 
including it as part of the storyline. As far as the match itself, I really enjoyed the contrast and styles here with Riddle using a lot of MMA takedowns and submissions early, and then pa- Corbin used his power. That gave him an edge. It was really smart booking in this match also with Riddle catching Corbin with his foot when Corbin ran out of the ring and attempted that move where he goes around the uh, ring post and dives back in to do a clothesline. He caught Riddle, uh, sorry, Corbin caught Riddle with it earlier in the show or earlier in the match. And then Riddle caught him the second time when he tried it again. Riddle basically got his entire move set off in this match. Corbin did an awesome job selling for him. And if I've said it once, I've I've said it a thousand times. He is one of the most underrated wrestlers going right now. This match was awesome, okay? And Baron Corbin, Matt Riddle is a great wrestler. Baron Corbin is a huge reason why. Riddle winning was obviously the right booking. I was glad to see him do it without his established bro Derek finisher, but rather with the combination of the bro to sleep and the floating bro. Corbin can excuse the loss as a whiny heel because of the couple kicks to the liver, yet Riddle still won. And I think this was his first pay-per-view singles match, his first pay-per-view match, and he gets a win over a pretty established guy in Corbin. So this was a big win for me. Yep. The, the, the issue with Corbin has always been kind of the, the character he's booked with, not with his work in the ring. He's He has the best working punch in the business today. Golden uh, Gloves winner. Yep. Yep, his, his finishers are, are good. He's he's a good worker, and that's what you got in this match. A really good, solid match. I think um, I think Riddle was wearing his Orlando Magic themed outfit with the the, <laughs> the blue with the, the black Hardaway, pinstripes. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. that's that's the yeah. vibe I got from that look as well. Um, I think Floating Bro is a dumb name for that move. Maybe they can do something else. Maybe not. But all uh, his all his moves have bro. Yeah, I know, but they're like puns. Is that a pun off of something I'm not getting? Like uh, sleep, I don't bro know. Derek. What is floating bro? They're just, it I, felt- don't know. I, I think I think bro Derek is far more offensive as a name because it's referencing like an old movie icon. <laughs> I know. <laughs> as opposed to this, but still a plan words or a pun or whatever. Floating bro just it's weird. Also, he's yeah. not floating, he's falling. So anyway, that's just that specific name bothered me. But uh yeah, this was exactly what it needed to be. Very solid and, and onward we go. The only disappointment I had here was Corbin attacking Riddle after the match because it seems like every single Baron Corbin feud goes on a full month longer than it should. Yep. This should be over by now. Matt Riddle should be moving on. I really hope they just have a rematch Friday on SmackDown. Riddle wins again and that's it. Also, this was the second this was I think the third match of the main card and the second to have a post-match beat down by the loser. Um, the first was Apollo, uh, Apollo fighting back after the open. Oh yes. I, I, I always think of that as heels, but yes, you're right about Apollo. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All so right, it, it, I just, I just, when, when that happened, I was like, wait, we just saw this early, but sure. It, at least that was backstage and it was within a post interview, uh, a post win promo or interview, I guess, segment backstage, at least it was different, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And again, this goes to what you were saying earlier, where it's real. He won a match, mm-hmm. right? He's getting interviewed backstage about a really big win. They've established that this interviewer cares about his story. So she spoke with him before. Now she's going to speak with him after. And then Corbin, you saw him sell those liver shots as the reason to lose. So he's going to come out as a whiny heel on SmackDown and say, you never would have beaten me if you didn't hit me there. You know, it it hurt me so much. And and then, you know, if it's not for that, then blah, blah, blah. So he he has that flexibility. But just in general, I I don't mind the post-match attack, but. Here, just with Corbin, it's like, man, you've already been feuding for like six weeks or eight weeks. It's enough now. Matt Riddle has better, bigger and better things he can be doing. 
Yep. You know, so that was a concern. But anyway, uh, next up, Big E defeats Sheamus. Holy crap. Uh, slow match to start. Wait, 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 wait. Play, play the drop here. Oh, I'm going to. Don't you worry. I'm getting there. Okay. This I, set, I, set my, I set myself up. Okay, because when this match happens, this is like the first, when this match happens, I'm like, well, this is perfect for this. So I'm so there's I want to make sure we don't forget this. There's actually, there were three of these matches on the card. The main event was one. I didn't mention it because it was kind of beyond that a little bit. But I thought there were two other matches that were all about this. But what I was saying was that this was a slow match. And that's to be expected from a couple guys that are like this. That's what I want to see. And that's what we got here, Chris. Man, oh man, was I energized for this finish. Biggie did that insane spear out of the ring to the outside, caught Sheamus midair for the powerbomb, and then hit the big ending for the one, two, three. Big E, just like Keith Lee earlier in the show, completely overpowered a former WWE champion who had been booked incredibly strong since his return to the ring. They're actually doing it with Big E. The way he reacted after the match with Corey Graves was complete proof of it. This is a real main event singles push and i freaking love it yep another spot uh the over the head belly to belly uh sheamus kind of had a running start but still a ridiculous uh type of spot for those type of big guys this match felt heated i mean they were both dripping in sweat for one but it it felt like there was an edge between these two guys like they were really kind of fighting and getting physical and that and that this really mattered to the guys involved. And that just, it came through in the match and that was really good. And yeah. And, and then the post match where not only did Biggie call out Corey, you know, after the match, he kept talking as he was going oh, all the way yeah. back, kept talking. And it, it's, it's funny because, you know, the Miz was on him about, you know, not being serious. He's being too goofy. And that doesn't necessarily mean don't be a goofy character it means when the moment is right, get serious. And that's exactly what happened in that celebration. It wasn't a dancing celebration. It was a fired up, hyped up. I'm going to go, you know, I, I just you, you get fired up, want to go punch a wall or something like that when you're so yeah. excited uh, after that. And and it, it you felt the fire coming out of him after that. And it's exactly what we needed. And for anyone who watched Talking Smack, which, by the way, it's a little bit weird. Raw talk is immediately after Raw. Talking Smack is Saturday morning after SmackDown. I don't know why they're doing that, but anyone who did watch Talking Smack, I watched it today before the show. They foreshadowed this finish because Miz and Biggie basically got to speak again. And Biggie basically told Miz, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do whatever I want. Don't you worry about it. I'm going to get serious when it is important to get serious. And that, to what you just said, is what happened here. This was a ton of meat on meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. But it wasn't the only meet on meet action because we got a United States championship match between the champion Apollo Crews and the challenger Bobby Lashley. That was an absolute barn burner. I don't care that Apollo Crews is listed at six foot one, which, by the way, is most likely generous from the WWE roster. This match was still slapping me. This was a brutal match. Cruz went absolutely crazy here. He had a spine buster, a press slam, a German suplex, and then a frog splash, which I, I mean, I, of course he could do it, but I didn't think it was part of his moveset. 
he's treating Lashley like a guy that's his own size. He was just, it was incredible what he was doing. And I actually thought that Cruz might win this match the way he was going on. This match with Bobby Lashley, this match on its own, did as much for Cruz as maybe his entire title reign combined. Yep. He went shot for shot with a main eventer and he only lost because Lashley caught him in the full Nelson. I really liked this. And I know you said earlier that there were a couple post-match attacks, but a face attacking a heel being that angry coming out of a match like this, I thought that was a really nice touch to the entire thing. Yep, this this was an edge we have not seen from Apollo Crews before, both in the match and both the post-match. And I think both of us said, maybe coming out of the preview, that we were ready for them to Lashley get the title and we kind of move on from there. But no, I'm ready for another Apollo-Lashley match. Now I'm seeing that fire from Apollo that we didn't see from him as a champion. He's no longer just the guy smiling all the time. He realizes, hey, I'm in a one-on-three fight here, and I'm getting really, really sick of this. And obviously there wasn't an interference that caused the difference, but he is angry now as a character, and he's fired up. And you're right, you don't normally see a face do something like that, but it was a one-on-three, so, you know, you could kind of handle it there. And uh, yeah, just a lot of fire from Apollo. I totally agree that he got more out of this match probably than the last month or so of his um, title reign. And shout out to him doing the, the, the Wakanda forever on his on his uh, intro. And then actually the Hurt Business uh, did as well at the end. Cruz actually did it a second time, I think. That's he had right. a move in the ring. Yep. Yeah, he had a move in the ring and then did it as well. So real cool for all those guys to do that, obviously, for Chadwick Boseman. We did talk about that at the start of our WWE Payback Ultimate Preview, our last show. We did a cold open if you want to listen to that. You can. I've got a couple of really nice notes about that. So thank you, everyone, for the kind words there. There were a couple of kind of funny things in this match as well. MVP and Shelton Benjamin at ringside, they had me laughing the entire <laughs> match. It was like a dad and and a guy's brother watching their kid at like a Little League game. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was really funny. They both looked really good in their suits, but I loved that they didn't really factor into the finish. Lashley as a heel got over clean. I mean, yeah, they were there to intimidate him at some point, but that's okay. They're, they're a group. They're allowed to do that. I almost said faction. I almost slipped. Um, so, uh, you know, that was totally fine. But it just was kind of funny, like, just them watching intently the entire match. And then can we also discuss, after the match, the uh, snapshot effect with, after Lashley won? I thought it was corny when WWE did, like, the jail cell for the Usos when they talked about people being on lockdown <laughs> yeah. or whatever that was. And then during that era when they were, like, doing match – uh, not not match graphics, but superstar graphics. And they did the um, the selfie promos that were absolutely horrendous with the mm-hmm. stupid like Comic Sans MS font on the screen. That was all bad. I don't know why, but maybe it's just because the show was good and the match was so good. For some reason, this didn't bother me. And it kind of worked because they're guys that would potentially do this. I don't know. Yeah. Um, as long as it's only for Lashley, I, I kind of like it, or I'm at least okay with it. Maybe that's maybe that's fair. I'm I'm gonna let it go. Let me for, for, I mean, first you're you're getting the the video camera shot with the photographer in there, and I was like, this seems weird. Normally they like never let you see that anymore. Obviously, you know, in New Japan and old WWF, you used to see the photographers around the ring, mm-hmm. uh, but I was like, oh hey, they're acknowledging there's a photographer. That's kind of cool. And then the snapshot thing happens, and I was like, oh huh, I don't hate it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Yeah. I didn't love it. I thought it was fine. I was like, yeah, the Hurt Business, maybe, the, you know, maybe it's something tied with them. Maybe this is their own photographer or something like that. And I'm, I was fine with it. I um, 
I, I agree with you on MVP and Shelton making that noise. Just I, it helped the just kind of overall feel like, you know, obviously the Thunderdome, the audio is a lot better than it was in the performance center, but just having some more people just kind of talking, I think just generally yeah. kind of helped the feel of it. And well, one other thing about the Apollo attempted beat down at the end, I didn't like that they played his music as they went off to, to end that segment because he did kind of get chased out of the ring and he did lose. Yes. So I, I don't, yeah. I don't think you need to play his music to kind of not 50, 50 this, but like give him some heat back with the music. He already got it with the, with the anger he was showing. If anything, play the, her business music and it emphasizes how down he feels or something like that. So again, that's a little nitpick. They often do that when there's a beat down and mm-hmm. it's the idea is I, I didn't like going out of that segment with Apollo music. Um, and, just was unnecessary. No, I, I actually completely agree with you on that for sure. Uh, now the kickoff show, we had the riot squad that may have changed their name to living riot. I wasn't clear about what happened at the end of the kickoff show, but let's call them the riot squad for now beating the iconics. This was not the best match, but I liked the story with, with Billy Kay trying to make Liv Morgan distrust Ruby riot. And then Morgan needing to trust riot for the hot tag you could see Morgan's botch off that middle rope affected her because as soon as that happened, she rushed the rest of the entire match and then made additional mistakes. And this is from someone who, by the way, has improved dramatically in the ring since she's returned to WWE. So Liv Morgan, you know, most of the time, huge improvement. Tonight, took a step back, but the finish made a ton of sense. Riot Squad now has a tag team finisher, and I'd really like to see them actually have a rematch on Monday because you know the Iconics are going to complain. I'd love to see them have a rematch on Monday, have the Riot Squad win clean again, and become the number one contenders. And even if that results in a quick change with Sasha Banks and Nia Jax, not Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, even if that ends up being a quick change, let's say two weeks from now or even at Clash of Champions, you're expecting Baszler and Nia Jax to implode anyway, eventually. So that's totally fine. The question that I'm left wondering about is what the hell this is going to mean for Asuka and the Women's Championship because almost every other woman on that brand is now a tag team. There are four women's tag teams on Raw <laughs> and none on SmackDown unless you include Sasha Banks and Bayley. So now the Women's Tag Team Championships seem probably to be a Raw title or maybe Raw and NXT, but they don't have anywhere to go on SmackDown. And now you're looking at Asuka and you're like, who is her challenger? So I'm going to be curious to see. We can probably discuss that a little bit more uh, Tuesday after we do see what happens on Raw Monday night. Yeah, I did not see the kickoff match, um, but when I saw the result, I, I figured, okay, they, they are continuing to build the Riot Squad up for a number one contender spot. At first, you figured for Sasha Bailey, now maybe for Shayna Baszler and Ijax. So uh, don't have much to add other than story-wise, I think it's another step in the right direction. So the only thing left to talk about before we get out of here in terms of the pay-per-view itself was there was no retribution um, and there was no retribution at SummerSlam either. I thought on Friday night, Cl- during clearly, Smack- clearly, clearly the security at the pay-per-views is just that much better. Maybe. I mean, Friday night during SmackDown, they explained why retribution was not there. They had the security at the very beginning of the show and there's them saying, hey, look, make sure they don't get in. This is the plan. We're going to attack it. We're going to get this done correctly. And we saw no retribution. But for them not to be on this show when payback really is a synonym in many ways for retribution, uh, I thought it was a missed opportunity. I mean, they they could have put them at another. They didn't have to do the main event, 
They could have done it any part of the show. They could have had, had them messing with some stuff backstage. Maybe they could have been messing with people backstage that were not at all involved in any of the matches. Let's not forget, this was another like two hour, 50 minute pay-per-view. Like WWE's pay-per-views have been well below three hours during this pandemic era. They probably could have inserted five minutes of retribution chaos in or around Amway Center. I'm not saying that I need retribution on my television. I think we all agree it's largely been a failure, but I am a little bit, I hate to say it, Chris, starting to wonder if they're just going to drop the entire thing. You know, a certain Rene Paquette uh, tweeted that same thing after the show, or maybe during the show, where, where is uh, retribution? We never, um, yeah, we never got that. It's, it's weird. Like I said, it, it's strange. I've said this for a few weeks, but it, all, it has felt like they had a plan and we're treating, maybe didn't have a plan, but we're treating this story with the proper respect, having it interrupt a Drew promo, you know, giving it heavy time. And now for the past week, we haven't. So I, I don't know. I, I talk about how so many things here, it seems like they do have a plan. Uh, I'm I'm back to the spot with Retribution where we've been for a few weeks and that we weren't totally sure if they had a plan. There There have been... A number of these things that just get dropped and, and never happen. Um, I, I think about Stardust and Goldust in their back room. I think about uh, uh, Alistair Black talking every week in, in his in his promo closet. Uh, the hacker. Uh, there have been a few of these things that that just the the bunny. Remember remember the bunny. We never the lock had a box. Yeah, some of these they just <laughs> they end up just dropping and um, uh, would be unfortunate because I like I said they've given us some prime real estate here. I think they need to make a move here on it. And they did do something Monday night, if memory serves. So, and they did it on the opening of the Thunderdome. So it's like, it's like, clearly you're not going away from it completely, but I don't know. It they, seems this, weird that on, um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying, it seems like on their biggest shows, Retribution's too scared to be there. Right. kind of weak. It felt like they had been building to this week with two pay-per-views in a week. It felt like they were going to build to, all right, here was going to be the big moment. And we haven't, we didn't get it. So I don't really know what comes next. Yeah. And, and for those asking, no, I do not think that retribution should be tied to Roman Reigns. I don't think you need Reigns and Heyman to both be in charge of a faction that they don't really need because Reigns is already the strongest guy in the company. Plus Heyman he becomes Brock Lesnar level strong. So I don't want Retribution to be there with Reigns. But at the same time, it's like, well, what the hell are you going to do with these guys? And now what's their point? It seems like their motivation is waning, right? Um, because especially, look, the product's really good. So if you were going to introduce them back onto television and say, you guys aren't giving us chances and the product sucks and whatever. Well, I mean, not the last two pay-per-views. The two pay-per-views have been really good. And that kind of takes us into our grade on the evening. And I want to read... A couple messages we got. We got so many messages on Twitter during the show. You guys were so excited. I love it. I'm just reading two before we give our grades. I want to give a sampling of what people were saying. The first is from Arun Singh, longtime listener. It doesn't tweet much though. At Arun, A-R-U-N-E. He says, this feels like a takeover for the main roster. We also got Mike at M Stokes. Again, someone who I don't think has messaged us before. Can I honestly say I never saw it coming, meaning payback being a great pay-per-view? Chris, I forgot to do the Twitter poll ahead of the show, so I don't know what people's expectations were 
for WWE payback. But I have to assume they were exceeded. Okay, I have to believe that WWE over-delivered because in our post-show poll, 90% of you said that WWE Payback was an A or a B with 53.6% saying an A. D to F was 2.6%. I honestly don't know who could have thought this was a D or an F pay-per-view. If you thought maybe it was a C because maybe too many faces went over, I maybe can buy that. B certainly is fair. A, 53.6%. Again, 90% A or B. Chris, I'm going to let you start. What is your overall grade for WWE Payback? I'm going to give it, I, I think, an A-. minus. I think it was a really good, I mean, we get three title changes on a week, on a B pay-per-view a week after SummerSlam. Um, I, expectations were low. They were definitely heightened after how SmackDown ended. Um, but I got to give it an, I, I give it an A-, minus, maybe because I'm just being a tough grader. But uh, yeah, th- this, based on those numbers, that might be the best graded, I don't know what all the other pay-per-views were, but that might be the best graded pay-per-view based on those polls that uh, since I've been uh, a part of this. So I say A minus. There was there was nothing on this show that was bad, and there was a lot of stuff that was really good. Let me ask you this: If memory serves, and tell me if I'm wrong, I think you gave SummerSlam an A minus. I, I I may have. I, I I thought that was a really good show okay. as well. No, I was just I was just asking. I was curious if you thought it was along the same lines. The way I look at it is this. Bobby Lashley, Apollo Crews over-delivered. Big E, Sheamus over-delivered. Matt Riddle, Baron Corbin over-delivered. The Women's Tag Team Championship match over-delivered. Keith Lee and Randy Orton over-delivered. The Mysterios versus Rollins and Murphy over-delivered. And the main event, I'm not going to say under-delivered. Maybe it matched expectations, let's say. So if I'm going to be that positive with basically every single match of the show, that puts me into the A category. You know, I cannot give it an A plus because of the main event and maybe the kickoff show match. A plus is a perfect pay-per-view. And I don't think I've ever given a pay-per-view in an entire letter grade an A plus. I guess because some of the bigger titles weren't there, the Intercontinental, there were no tag team men's titles on there. Only one main roster uh, world title was defended. I didn't love the main event and the main event is still the main event. That's the key. I'll go with A minus also. I'm right there with you. But you look at 2020 and it's tough. It's very tough to compare payback to WrestleMania because it was two nights. It was WWE rushing to get a show on the air. I don't really think it's fair to compare it to that. But Royal Rumble this year was probably a top five Royal Rumble in terms of the match itself of all time. And many of the other matches on that show were good. I have to say, I think this may have been WWE's best pay-per-view of the year. And I'm racking my brain to think about what the best other shows this year were. And NXT, despite having really good takeovers, 30 was really good. Portland was really good. I can't think of one that was the level of like an NXT takeover New Orleans or NXT takeover Brooklyn 2 or anything like that. AEW Double or Nothing was really good. Um, NJPW Dominion was a huge disappointment for me. Wrestle Kingdom had a couple good matches, but it was very top heavy. I actually think sitting here, August 30th, the waning minutes, I think so far to this point, eight months into the year, this is our pay-per-view of the year. I I, I think it's that or Royal Rumble is definitely up there. I'm going back and looking through it. Um, It was very solid. Obviously, having the Rumble matches 
helps. But Bray Wyatt versus Dan O'Brien was great. Becky Lynch versus Asuka was great. And then you have Drew McIntyre winning one of the best Royal Rumbles ever. I, it's hard because, like, the reason, honestly, the reason I probably didn't give this an A is because there wasn't a crowd. And it's oh, just. Oh, it, if there was a crowd, this would have felt like an A. Yeah, it's still, it's still, there's just something missing when you don't have the crowd. The Thunderdome is certainly light years better than what we got at WrestleMania. Um, but it's still, you're still. It's the diff- the crowd is the difference between taking that really good moment and it feeling like a, a a transcending moment. Not that anything at Payback was necessarily transcending, but you, you don't really have that opportunity. I think WrestleMania 30 had higher, not 30, uh, 36, whatever this one was, had higher highs in terms of uh, the, the Firefly Funhouse and the Boneyard match. I, I think some of the higher, the highs were higher, but this is probably, this or Royal Rumble is the best wwe show of the year i i would throw worlds collide up there um as well i i still think the imperium undisputed era match was a match of the year um but that was a great uh, match but that's a match though right that's what i'm saying i i wouldn't put it as high as those two but i have it up near near the top of best shows of the year and then double or nothing as well um but uh yeah this is probably at worst top three wrestling show of the year yeah, like I, I think I, I would I would put this head of SummerSlam. I know I gave them both A minuses, but I would put this head of SummerSlam. Well, you you graded it before you graded this one. I mean, the, everyone's scale changes. You know, I think I think I gave SummerSlam a B plus. I probably would actually maybe downgrade that to a B. But again, these you're, the fact that WWE in eight days, okay, gave us two shows that we're talking about in the A A minus B plus range for a company that has let's be honest, disappointed us more often than they've excited us over an extended period of time. This is a massive success for them and they need to be very, very pleased about it. And the question coming out of this, which we will address on Tuesday's show, which is our next podcast, is after two great pay-per-views back-to-back and a very disappointing episode of Monday Night Raw in between and a pretty good episode of SmackDown in between, are they going to carry this momentum over to television? And what I said coming out of the SummerSlam show was, I think WWE has figured it out. I think WWE is back. I'm not going to make that same mistake twice because I don't want to be as disappointed Monday night. They, they have a lot of reckoning to do with their television booking. But I will say that I am very optimistic. And even if the WWE television product is just the same as it has routinely been during this pandemic era, which I think you and I mutually agree has been an improvement from what it was in 2019. Really since January, 2020, the television product has vastly improved despite not being perfect. But if you give me a C plus B minus TV product and you give me an A to B pay-per-view product, that is way better WWE than we have been getting for a long time. You know, I think they have generally figured things out on SmackDown. It, SmackDown's been pretty good for a month. The ratings have been going up. Yeah, um, like six weeks, maybe. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they've, it's, it hasn't been great, but it's been solid. Raw has been just very hit or miss. Um, and a couple weeks ago, it was, it was a big hit. Last week, it was a miss. I'm not going to say WWE's back or anything, but it's, it's always appreciative when they give you these payoffs and these moments and these indications that they do have a plan because it's so often watching WWE, you, you feel like they just wrote that show the day of and 
you don't mm-hmm. know what they're going to do and you don't think they know where it's going to be three weeks from now. Everything from payback felt like they have a plan for pretty much everything going on here. And that is as exciting as anything. I agree. I, I feel like they had a plan or have a plan for every match and every person or every winner, I guess, on the show. Every storyline felt like it had either reached a conclusion or has a direction going forward. And maybe a couple of those the Apollo Crew stuff with the Hurt Business and Matt Riddle with Corbin in particular feels like it might be going a little bit too long. But at least it seems like they know where they're going. And as you just said, for a long period of time, I did not necessarily have the trust and belief in WWE that they were doing that. It is clear to me that they have a long-term booking mindset. And that is really what played out at SummerSlam and at Payback. And now I'm really excited to see what is going to happen going forward. As far as what's next for this podcast, as I mentioned, Tuesday morning following WWE Raw, we will have another WWE edition of this show. We'll talk additional fallout from payback, maybe answer a ton of DMs that you guys send between now and the end of Raw on Monday night, and we'll break down everything that happened on Raw. On Wednesday, uh, we're going to have NXT this week airing Tuesday night. So Wednesday morning, I, the Silver King, will do a quick shot, about 30-minute edition of the show, just to break down NXT, because we will be coming back Thursday morning with an ultimate preview for AEW All Out. AEW Dynamite will be airing on Wednesday this week, so we will be able to do that All Out Ultimate Preview a couple days ahead of AEW All Out, which is airing on Saturday. And yes, Saturday night, we will have instant analysis of AEW All Out. So there's four more episodes to come this week. And then finally, the Silver King is able to like get some additional hours of sleep and relax a little bit and go back to doing two shows a week. But we've been running at a torrid pace right now about, I don't know, it feels like I've done like 15 shows or we'll, we'll have by the end of this, like 15 shows in the last three weeks. I hope you guys are enjoying them. The traffic's been great. Again, please follow us on Twitter. The, follow the show number one at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. Chris, do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here tonight? Uh, no, just really good job. I had a really fun time watching the show. Last two straight pay-per-views. Who the hell figured that they were going to make that work? And they did. I was texting to one of my coworkers throughout the entire show, and there was a lot of curse words involved, but it was, who the F is booking? now because it doesn't feel like it's Vince McMahon and it doesn't feel like it's WWE but you know what as Vince McMahon would say and it really was good shit on Sunday night at WWE Payback thank you all for listening to the show again we will be back Tuesday with fallout from WWE Payback and a full breakdown of Raw for Chris Benini this is the Silver King I only have three words left for you bye for now 